attention patriots, this is the Chris Ann Hall Show. Who's going to stand up? Where are the lovers of liberty? I think that's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's unconstitutional. It's out of control. You think this is over? This isn't over. There's a liberty wave coming. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com. Liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Welcome to my show, Chris, my husband and co-host, J.C. Hall. And as you can see, we are once again not, if you're watching us on YouTube, we are not at our home studio. We are in a hotel room, <laughs> as we usually are. As we travel around America, we are in Arkansas this week. And um, tomorrow, J.C., you will be teaching in uh, Oklahoma. What class is that that you're teaching tomorrow in Oklahoma? Righteous. Uh, the morality of resistance. The I think. morality of res- what is that on about? Um, so that is the Bible uh, class where we deal with the issue of <clears throat> the teaching that says uh, that as Christians we're supposed to be passive. Uh, See, I remember we had a discussion whatever. with somebody about Jesus being a pacifist, so we must be pacifists, and the Bible teaches us that all we can do is pray for government that we can't actually be involved in government. So is that what your your class is sort of the, the answer to that kind of question? Uh, well, yeah, it deals with the issue. Of, so some people teach the Bible says you're supposed to do whatever government says because that's, you know, that's the powers that be ordained, and so therefore you can't, uh, you can't not obey. So you're supposed to obey no matter what. So the founders of America were somehow in disobedience to God because they resisted their government. Right. Ah, and so this class, uh, um, the morality of resistance shows uh, the biblical basis for standing against tyrannical and unrighteous government. Yeah, and pacifism, I mean, the discussion of pacifism involves use of violence. It's not really what this class is about, but people Mm -hmm. confound, conflate those issues right it's a separate kind of separate thing i see i see okay great well we'll be uh excited to uh, have everybody there at the church on wednesday remember if you don't know our schedule go to chrisannhall.com and you can you can uh not only see where we're going to be but you can invite friends and family members and you can have details times locations topics and that sort of thing so we will be in Uh, We will be in Arkansas and, uh, again, Oklahoma on Wednesday until Sunday of this week when we go back to Florida. We'll be back in our home studio then that that uh, well, probably not that Monday. I think we're flying on that Monday, but we will be back in the home studio next week filming, by the way, for new Liberty First University classes. Yes. (laughs) So, J.C., did you see that? 
Ginsburg is back in the public eye. I did not. Did she fall again? No, no, no. She's back on the bench. Hmm. She's uh, offering her her uh, input on some Supreme Court, uh, some cases before the Supreme Court. So we now have found Waldo. Are we sure it's her? Well, now that's the big question now, isn't it? I, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure she has a doppelganger somewhere. Plastic surgery can do anything. You've seen Weekend at Bernie's, right? I've, yeah, right. Seriously, but hey, there, there is, there, there has been a Ginsburg spotting, and she has been sitting on the Supreme Court bench. She even asked questions. As, um, by the way, I don't know if if you're not a a follower of the Supreme Court, you may not know this, but it is tradition that Ginsburg be of the first justices to ask questions during uh, oral arguments. What does that mean? That means that Ginsburg is, by tradition, the first justice to ask yeah, questions. I, yeah, I yeah. got that. <laughs> uh, what, why? Who knows? Who knows? Why do we do anything anymore? But, you know, maybe because she's the longest breathing person on the Supreme Court. It's some kind of seniority thing. I don't know. Or maybe it's just she's got that reputation of she just talks a lot. <laughs> I just thought that was very interesting. I did not realize that. Did you also see that there is a lawsuit filed against Donald Trump and the Trump administration for his declaration of emergency? Yeah. We have is 16, that the California lawsuit? It's 16 states, actually. California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Oregon, and the Commonwealth of Virginia. Virginia. Have all filed lawsuit against Donald Trump and the Trump administration for his declaration of emergency to uh, build the wall. And it is is primarily against... The declaration. Just FYI, Ginsburg is not the most senior justice. Clarence Thomas is. Oh, she's just the the oldest. oldest. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Well, Clarence Thomas is in our in our show today too. So that he that's something that's really coming up. That's gonna uh, we're gonna be talking about Clarence Thomas and the First Amendment. He made some very very uh, important observations in a most recent case. Uh, a certiorari case where the Supreme Court said we're not going to be taking this case, which is really odd for a judge to go through such trouble to write a, a full-fledged concurring opinion on a case where the court refuses to hear the arguments. But this is this is really, really good, and it's a First Amendment issue. The, it, it's a good and a bad thing. I want to cover this, by the way. But I wanted to talk about this lawsuit because the lawsuit against the Trump administration is an injunct is for injunctive relief again to prevent the federal government the the executive agencies in specific to spending federal dollars on the border wall because of the declaration of emergency and what's interesting in this lawsuit JC is that Donald Trump in one of his speeches said it's not necessary for me to declare emergency, but I'm going to get it 
because I, I have to get this done. So then the lawsuit quotes Donald Trump and says uh, even the president himself declares that it's not necessary to declare emergency to get this done. So uh, the court should not justify his declaration of emergency to get it done. So that's going to be an interesting thing for us to to look at. Um, it's interesting, I think, the 16, K, the 16 states that have signed on. And as we mentioned in the show, um, what is today? Tuesday, uh, right? Yeah. So the one, <laughs> losing track of days, the show we did yesterday that in response to this 16 state injunction, the uh, remaining states ought to be filing their uh, resolutions against the states that are failing to enforce the uniform rules of, of uh, naturalization and the remaining states ought to be banding together in a in a state cooperative to go ahead and create the border security and and again how much money are we going to federal money are we going to now waste in this lawsuit and how much time are we wasting in all of these uh these movements that produce no activity at all. So you have lots of movement, but no actual resolution. That's because the real resolution has to come through the states. And it's, it's, once again, JC, here we have an entire injunctive relief, and nobody ever mentions, not even once, that the states ought to be taking care of this authority on their own. Once again, we are not taking the, the we're not having the proper discussion. Once again, all the, 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 the big obvious, the big constitutional discussion that ought to be have had is not being had. And, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe we, we need to be more vocal about it as a people. We need to start writing our letters to our, our governors and our legislators and say, look, this affects, uh, does this not affect the all of America? Does this not affect all the states of the union? Well, obviously it does. And otherwise, there would have been no reason for the states to agree that the federal government uh, be authorized the power to create the uniform rule of naturalization. The reason they authorized the federal government that authority to begin with is they recognized that that part of the procedure actually affects the entire union as a whole. As a matter of fact, James Madison talks about it a lot. In the Federalist Papers, I think it's uh, 47 through 49, about how uh, the entire immigration process was a mess under the original Articles of Confederation because of the differing standards for naturalization from state to state to state. So now what we have done, we have turned away what our founders actually intended. We have turned away the things that our, uh, the reasonings, the history, the wisdom, and the logic that our founders put in place to, to actually delegate this power to the federal government. And we're repeating a history, unfortunately, 
that didn't doesn't need to be repeated. We are we are now. You know, JC, when I read James Madison's uh, account of the confusion that was happening in the states during the Articles of Confederation because of the differing standards in the creation of status of citizenship, I I had no I had no other no other uh, uh, response in my mind was here we go again because we are now in that same state of confusion James Madison called it uh, in, in a Nash an international embarrassment we have an international embarrassment on our hands because as a union when we're supposed to be working together for a common goal in a common objective on international things it's a whole purpose of creating the union we now have a state of confusion because we have states who are refusing their constitutional contractual agreements. Liberty's lobbyist Chris Ann Hall has now taken control. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here with my husband and co-host, J.C. Hall. I just want to let everybody know at chrisannhall.com, uh, if you go to the store, we have a special bundle offer for our uh, February uh, recognition of Black History Month. And this bundle is the two DVDs, More Than Victims and Slavery in the American Founders, uh, together at a reduced price of $28.97. So if you would to purchase them individually, they would be $19.97 apiece. But to, for a limited time, if you go to chrisannhall.com, you can get the More Than Victims DVD and the Slavery in the American Founders DVD together for $28.97. Now, this is important because um, as I'm, I'm searching through all of the, the media for the, the constitutional current event things that we need to cover today, I'm watching the media, JC, talk about Black History Month. And uh, I'm not seeing these things, these conversations that we have in these two DVDs. I'm certainly not. I was actually shocked when I saw on the History Channel uh, about um, um, uh, the uh, first American black spy. James Armistead. James Armistead. Yeah, they call him, they, they talked about James Armistead like for, you know, two paragraphs. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, but and I was really surprised when I saw that and they, he was heralded as being the first American black spy. And uh, but they didn't give a whole lot of details about how he was actually the guy instrumental in overturning foiling, foiling Benedict Arnold, foiling Benedict Arnold. That's right. So uh, that's what you get from the more than victims. DVD. Instrumental in the victory of the battle of Yorktown. Yeah, because if it hadn't been for him there, what Yorktown would have been right completely different but more than victims is a black history dvd america's uh black heritage america's hidden black heritage that jc teaches and uh man jc 
the comments that we've gotten after you've taught that class are just, I mean, words like life-changing, mind-blowing, you know, reality-altering. Well, the, you know, and why you have 30 seconds, you know, or a minute on somebody like James Armistead that's kind of throwaway history yeah. because it points to a different narrative. It doesn't fit mm-hmm. the narrative. So they want, you know, there'll be a two-hour special on uh, W.E. Dubois or, you know, just somebody radical, somebody maybe left, somebody uh, Malcolm X, you know, and, right. and, and, and really right. only a, uh, a certain part of Malcolm X life. Like if you if you look at uh, like all the histories of even Malcolm X, the biographies that I see, uh, the the part where it, where he go he, you know he takes his trip to the Middle East and he comes back and he mm-hmm. has this sort of transformation of blacks and whites living together in harmony and peace right, and let's right. get along. That's always That's like a- the last <laughs> oh. fifteen seconds. Oh, by the way, <laughs> of of you know you'll you'll spend oh, a six week series <laughs> about Malcolm X and the Nation of Islam, whatever. And as the credits are just starting to roll. Mm-hmm. They show Malcolm X in this, you know, white tunic, and then they talk about, you know, it, it, he went to here and and he came back with this transformation of living in peace and harmony and blacks and whites and the religions getting along. The end. Right. So like, right. So that's the same kind of thing. So you know, Which that's why you won't find this. Was instrumental in his his uh, that's early why, demise, by that, the way. Yeah, and that's why you need the more than victims DVDs. You're not going to get this history in mainstream sources they don't so these they don't are want to talk about it these are pivotal black americans prior to the emancipation proclamation and that's what's really important because americans history books today teach that no black person would be free without the federal government and that's simply not true and it really hides it's it's why the the title of the dvd is more than victim because the way we teach history today uh imposes this this overwhelming this oppressive belief on this entire segment of a of a population that you're nothing more than a slave unless the federal government says so well that's the plantation narrative there is also a subversive narrative because you you have that narrative coming from the government controllers and the government you know dependent mm-hmm. But uh, then your other alternative, um, because, you know, then you have a slice that will see that rightfully as slavery. So the other alternative that you're given is you have to subjugate the white race, get revenge and uh, carry out violence. We'll be right back. There again, men tear up our constitution And from every direction we cry real Can't learn the easy way, you'll learn the hard way Chris Ann Hall, she's Liberty's lobbyist Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal Chris Ann Hall here with my husband and co-host J.C. Hall Don't miss out on the Black History Bundle at chrisannhall.com in our store. The other video, the other DVD is Slavery in the American Founders. That's a course, a Liberty First University course that JC and I teach together, which gives the actual comments of the the founders uh, during their debates 
uh, to ratify the Constitution and the discussions that they had for the the eventual abolition of slavery in America. Another thing that's simply just not being heard. We're not hearing it. So I want to talk about what's happening with Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas has called for the reconsideration of a New York Times case called the, uh, which is the, um, the landmark case he's talking about is a case involving the New York Times in 1964, where the standard for public officials in a liable case was, was changed. And, um, it comes about li- uh, Clarence Thomas's call for a reconsideration of this libel case comes through the Catherine May McKee v. Cosby case, and um, what has happened is that Catherine K- May McKee is the lady who filed uh, charges against uh, William Cosby for sexual assault. Bill. And when she, when she did this, she gave information to a media source. And when she gave information to the media source, the uh, courts, the federal courts then say what happens is because you voluntarily made this a, a public issue. The language is you have now thrust yourself into the public view as a public figure. Mm-hmm. So when Bill Cosby then released de- uh, def- uh, defamatory information about Catherine in the public as well, there is now a heightened standard for liable that applies to Catherine that is different from the uh, general population. So according to the Supreme Court in 1964, in this New York Times uh, case, if you are a public figure, everybody else on the planet to prove liable must simply prove that the information was false, that there was damages, uh, and it was um, the damages are in monetary form, okay? But when you are a public official, according to the New York Times case in 1964, you have an additional element that you must prove. And that means that the information you must prove that the information was presented with malice, which means that the person giving the information has to know that it's false and mean to put it out there as a false accusation with actual malice intent to uh, or di- reckless disregard as to whether it was false or not. So the average person doesn't have to do that. And that's not the way it's always been, okay? So that's just from 1964 forward. Prior to 1964, the standard was the same for everyone. And uh, this is why Thomas is giving this written concurrence to the denial of certiari to uh, Catherine for her liable case with William Cosby. All right? So here's, here's the, bo- the background. She filed this case of liable against uh, Bill Cosby and uh, for his release of information. 
Now, the federal courts have said because, Catherine, you thrust yourself into the public eye, you cannot prove that that Bill Cosby put out this information with actual malice. So we're not going to hear your case, right? Now, the Supreme Court says now we agree with the lower courts that you cannot prove actual malice. And Clarence Thomas concurs with that. But he writes a concurring opinion to explain that he feels like he has no choice because this is the precedent that has been established since 1964. But in his concurrence, he says, we need to review, re- review that, that precedent. Okay? He says, uh, he says, the New York Times case and the court's decisions extending it were policy-driven decisions masquerading as constitutional law. Isn't that interesting? Now, this is number one thing that we, we need as Liberty First people to, to notice. What are you noticing here, JC? Clarence Thomas is going along with the denial of certiorari because of precedent, even though he believes the precedent is unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. He should have not gone along with the denial of certiorari. He should have been like, like Gorsuch and said, you know what? This is wrong. I'm not going to go along with this, and then wrote a dissent saying why. He could have said the exact same things in the form of a dissent rather than going along with it and saying, hey, I'm going along with it because I have no choice because this is a matter of precedent, but I don't agree with the precedent at all. He even says, from the founding of the nation until 1964, the law of defamation was almost exclusively the business of state courts and legislators. We know why, right? Because Article 3 excludes these kinds of cases from federal jurisdiction. Remember, if it's a person suing another person in their state, then there is no more jur- there's no federal jurisdiction so that's why these cases were almost exclusively the business of state courts and legislatures because they almost exclusively involved internal uh, I- internal people within their state when they're not internal one person suing from another state that's when the federal jurisdiction comes in because now you're dealing with two separate laws from two separate jurisdictions right because new york defamation could be different than california defamation so you have a california person suing a new york person that's the purpose of the federal courts to reconcile those two separate governments but in a case where you have a person from the state suing another person from the same state, the Constitution excludes that from federal jurisdictions. And this is, this is where the confusion comes in. Because now we don't have the court trying to reconcile two different laws. What we have are the courts, through opinion, rewriting laws. Look at what... It, what, what Thomas says in his uh, in his concurrence, he says, the court took it upon itself to define uh, to define the proper proper accommodation between two competing interests, the law of defamation and the freedom of speech and press protected by the First Amendment. He says, um, 
the materials that they reviewed in this, which were not, he says, were not the founding documents or, or common law as it was established, uh, led the court to promulgate a federal rule that prohibits a public official from recovering damages for a defamatory falsehood relating to his official conduct unless he proves that the statement was made with actual malice. So what do you see there? The court promulgating federal rules. That means... The courts have actually created federal, we're acknowledging that the courts are creating federal rules through judicial opinion. Which is to say amending the Constitution through the court. Amending the Constitution through the court, whether it's amendment of the First Amendment itself or amendment of Article One, which reserves the rulemaking authority and lawmaking authority to the legislative branch. We have the judicial branch taking over legislative authority, and that is a constitutional crisis. That is a violation of separation of powers. And what Thomas goes on to say is that these... These rules that were created um, prior to 1964 by the states were all based on common law and were based on the understanding of the of individual rights, meaning uh, what what um, what Benjamin Franklin said as silence do good, that the only limit to freedom of speech and freedom of expression is that you cannot harm or control the right of another. That's how libel fits into the whole First Amendment process, right? So you have freedom of speech, but you cannot harm another person. You cannot control another person's liberty with your speech. And that's where libel comes in. And because we have now corrupted the Constitution with a false understanding of the role of the judiciary and then reinforced that false understanding of the role of judiciary with an errant application of the 14th Amendment, we have now created this kind of confusion which leads a otherwise, quote-unquote, conservative Supreme Court justice to go along with something that he knows is unconstitutional. It is not founded in, in our history. It's not founded in the, idea, in the writings of our founders. It's not even founded in the common law that built our, our system. And it just makes him go along with it because of this ideology of judicial supremacy. A lot of people point to the 14th Amendment, J.C., to the clause within the 14th Amendment that uh, says that the states cannot violate the people's rights. Right. Problem is, you can read through that 14th Amendment, J.C., read through all five sections. Do you see anything in the 14th Amendment that expands the authority of the Supreme Court? Of course not. Does it, do, does it do anything to amend Article 3 to change the jurisdiction of the federal courts? No. And that's where the error of the 14th Amendment comes in. Because, well, one of them anyway. It, 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 the people automatically assume 
that because the 14th Amendment says that the, um, that the people's rights cannot be violated. What is the exact language in there? Do you see that? Well, we'll get back to it right after this break. I'm a long, long way from my home And I'm going to change all the things I find The Chris Head Hall Show Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Show Chris Ann Hall here with my husband and co-host J.C. Hall We're talking about this case of Catherine May McKee v. William B. William H. Cosby. Uh, it is a libel suit and Justice Clarence Thomas throwing the constitutional law experts into a tizzy because he has uh, concurred with the Supreme Court's uh, decision to deny uh, McKee from from being heard by the Supreme Court, but then has written this very lengthy Uh, concurrence saying, hey, I'm going along with this because this is the precedent, but the precedent is wrong, and here is why. And it's because of a lot of this, the federal supremacy that we teach today and the errant understanding of the 14th Amendment, and specifically the language that says, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction equal protection of the laws. That's a pretty good statement, which I believe is actually a statement that is in every single state constitution. Well, that would seem to support Clarence Thomas' position, the equal protection under the law. If you make different rules for different parts of society, well, if you're a public figure, you don't get First Amendment protection. If you're not a public figure, I mean, that's that's not equal protection under the law. It is not equal protection under the law. And uh, so this is the problem that we have because people uh, take that, that, that one sentence from five sections and and build an entire judicial expansion of authority by that one section. Oh, well, it says that nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process and equal protection under the law. Well, now, because that's an amendment in the Constitution, that must mean that that invokes the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court to settle the issue. What's interesting is, J.C., this is the point that Clarence Thomas makes. Before 1964, the states all handled libel by themselves. Not a single state prior to 1964 established a separate standard for public figures. It was once again the Supreme Court sticking their nose where they do not belong creating an unconstitutional standard and calling it constitutional. How many of these examples do we have to provide, J.C., before people will lose their love and cult of personality worship for the Supreme Court of the United States? I mean, seriously, I I, I don't get this. Even the drafters of the 14th Amendment during the ratification debates of the 14th Amendment They never said that they were trying to expand the authority of the Supreme Court. And now you have the Supreme Court using an authority that is being 
construed and constructed where it didn't actually belong to create an unconstitutional standard. And so I just, you know, I, I guess maybe my bottom line here, JC, is I wish that Clarence Thomas had had a little bit more um, backbone, as it were, to simply say, I will not support this and this is why. So I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering why nobody else signed on to his concurrence in that. I'm going to have to look into that a little bit deeper uh, because I want to know, well, I know why why Kavanaugh didn't because, you know, he's a precedent guy. He's not going to go against the precedent. No. But I would wonder why Gorsuch didn't sign on to the concurring opinion with him. Um, but I think that this is this is something that gives us an idea of of how the Supreme Court is beginning. And I believe Gorsuch has a lot to do with this, J.C., is beginning to feel a little bit more empowered to challenge the previous precedent and status quo it sets. Yeah, that's that was my first thought. Now, here's the bad thing, J.C., because. It's going to be slipped. It's going to be flipped into a political issue. Why? Because Donald Trump is the one who said we need to reevaluate the libel laws because of all the flack he and the fake news he was getting. Right. Which is interesting because the 1964 case of the New York Times comes through fake news. Yeah. A complete fake news ad on the New York Times that was not justified by any fact whatsoever and the Supreme Court said no you've got a higher standard because you're a government official and because you are uh, um, in the public light. Once again the Supreme Court using the Constitution errantly as an excuse to expand its power and to justify unconstitutional activity. God bless you guys. We will see you tomorrow.